This morning's scripture reading comes from Romans 10, 14 through 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have been, I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Let's say amen together, church. We'll go ahead and take a seat, everyone. Welcome to Harvest. Those of you who are watching online right now, let me just encourage you, all of us, even those uh, here in the sanctuary downstairs, let's turn in our Bibles to the passage just read, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. That's what we're studying this morning. The passage today is a little complex, and maybe you sensed that complexity even as Ryan was reading it, but the essence of this passage is really pretty simple. I want us to keep that simplicity in mind even as we go through the complexity of this text. I want the simplicity of the overarching message to be kind of a map as we uh, trek through the thick forest and the difficult terrain of Paul's argumentation in Romans 10, 14 through 21. What is the overall message of this text? What is Paul trying to communicate to you, Harvesticator? Here it is. Let me just give it to you in a sentence. Here's the map. God wants to use you. God wants to use us to deliver the best news in the world to the world. That's the message. That's the simple message that Paul is communicating to us from his word this day. God wants to use us to deliver the best news in the world to the world, the best news. There's a lot of bad news right now in the world, isn't there? I mean, some people are happy with what happened with the election. Some people hate it. Everybody's fighting about it. COVID-19 is like this thing from a horror movie. Like you think it's dead and it just keeps coming back and back and back. And we, we can't kill it. There's bad news everywhere in our world right now. There's bad news in China. There's bad news in Europe. There's bad news in Africa. There's bad news everywhere. Our world needs some good news right now, people. And we've got the best news. 
We've got the best news in this world, and God wants to use us to deliver the best news out there to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news. So let's talk about good news today. Everybody okay with that? Let's talk good news, Harvest Decatur. I've entitled this message today, Get the Message Out. Get the message out. And you can write this down as number one in your notes, just three points today. God wants his message proclaimed. Get the message out, Harvest Decatur. And what Paul is telling us here in these first few verses is God wants his message proclaimed. Now, just a little bit of review. Let's talk about what we talked about last week. Last week, we saw this great summation of the gospel. It's one of the best single sentence statements in all of the scriptures. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says, it's right there on your mouth. It's right there. It's so near to you. It's right there for the taking. It's right on the tip of your tongue. It's right on the tip of your heart. You don't have to go down into the abyss to get it or to get saved. You don't have to go up to heaven to get it. It's right here. It's so near because... Look at verse 13 in Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's right there for the taking. Now, following on the heels of that verse, verse 13, Paul asks this question in verse 13. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Yes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but you can't call without believing. Calling and believing, these are two parts of the same reality. We're not just puppets, you know, just mimicking something. Somebody, it's got to come from the heart. We've got to believe it, and then we talk. So how then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? Paul goes a step further with another question. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? That's a good question. You can't call on someone you don't know about, you haven't heard about. You can't believe in someone you've never heard of. And then Paul asks another question, taking us even further into what our mission is. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We need preachers. Now, about this time, you should realize that what Paul's talking about here, unlike our passage last week, he's not talking about how to get saved. This is not a passage on evangelism. That was last week. He's talking now to people who are saved, hopefully you and me in this room and those watching right now, and he's telling us we need to get to work. We've got a job to do. We've got a mission to accomplish. We've got to get the message out. He's talking to people like you and me who are already saved, who need to get the word about Jesus Christ out there to preach the gospel. And, and let me just clarify something here. Maybe, maybe that word preach, Paul says, and how can they hear without someone preaching? Maybe, maybe that's a disservice to you to have that word preaching. Because, you know, when you hear that word preaching, you're thinking like, well, that's what Pastor Tony does from the pulpit. You know, he gets all amped up. He's preaching. Yeah, no, we should preach the gospel from this pulpit. Not just me, whoever is here preaching. But it can't be just that. It's not just that. And, and like I said, maybe that word preach is a disservice to you. I said already in point number one, God wants his message proclaimed. This is not a Pastor Tony thing. This is a Harvest Decatur thing. The word here, it's, it's more universal than that. The Greek word here is keruso. 
And it means to announce. It means to, to make known. It means to proclaim. It means to herald. It means, as one author says, for us to be a living newspaper to the world. Here it is. Here's the good news. Let me tell you about it. Let me share it with you. It's not a Pastor Tony thing. It's a Harvest Gator thing. This is our shared task as the followers of Jesus Christ to get the, get the message out. How are they to hear without someone preaching? You know, I have two friends in Chicago, Illinois, who are both pastors now. And I've had some private conversations with them. And two men, two separate men have told me that as they grew up, this is in Chicago, as they grew up, they never heard the gospel message preached their entire childhood. I was shocked when I heard that. Seriously? This is America. How can you not hear this? And, and they said, they, you know, now, praise the Lord, they, they heard the gospel later in life. They got saved. Now they're pastoring churches and preaching the gospel every week, which is just, just fantastic. But, you know, I was shocked by that. And that's not consistent with my upbringing or that's not what I experienced. You know, when I was a kid, I, I, I heard the gospel every week. My pastor was preaching it every week, just like I do now. And even when my pastor wasn't preaching it every Sunday, I heard it from my teachers at school because I went to a Christian school and I heard it from my parents. I heard it on the radio. I heard it all the time as a kid. But I, I, I've had to reckon now later in life that not everybody has the same upbringing that I had when I was a kid. And for most of you out there right now, as I, I think about you and your kids, your kids are more like me than they are like the rest of the people in Decatur. They really are. Yeah, they've, I mean, they got... They got VBS t-shirts in their closet. They hear the gospel every summer, every time they go to Harvest Kids, every time they hear Pastor Tony get all amped up on Sunday morning. Not everybody is like that. And we need to just reckon with that, that there are people out there who need to hear the gospel and they're not going to come to church on Sunday to listen to Pastor Tony get all amped up about this. You need to be that gospel witness to them. You need to be that proclaimer how are they to hear without somebody proclaiming that truth? God wants us, all of us, collectively to share the gospel, proclaim the gospel, testify about the gospel. Everybody with me? Y'all with me here this morning, those of you who are here? How about those of y'all watching at home right now? Let me ask a hard question, okay? Everybody, everybody listening, let me ask you a hard question. Do people around you, those in your neighborhood, those who you work with, do they know more about your political affiliations than they do about your commitment to Jesus Christ as your Savior? Would people say, yeah, you know, that, that lady, she's a Republican, that guy, he's a Democrat. But I don't know if they follow Jesus. I don't know. They never talk about it. You're getting personal, Tony. All right, let me get more personal. Let's talk about your social media posts. If people read your social media posts, would they know more about your political affiliations? Would they know about more about which, which teams you cheer for than they would about your relationship with Jesus Christ, your following of Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that person, that family, they're, they're Cubs fans, they're Bears fans, they're Colts fans. I don't know if they're Christian. They never talk about it. Harvest Decatur, it should not be that way. It should, and by all means, cheer for a team. I'll tell you which team I cheer for. But they should know as well your commitment, your affiliation, your, 
your following of Jesus Christ. And if other people don't hear it, who's going to tell them? How are people going to know without us faithfully teaching, preaching, proclaiming, heralding the gospel of Jesus Christ? How are they going to hear about it? You might say, well, Pastor Tony, you know, God can get to them if he wants to. God can send an angel to them if he wants to. Well, God doesn't want to do that. God wants to use you. Even, here, just think about this for, with me for a second. Think about it in the, the New Testament. When people get saved, I mean, there's all this crazy stuff happening in the book of Acts. All this supernatural stuff. You know how people get saved in the book of Acts? People tell other people about Jesus. It's really pretty simple. And, and I've even used the illustration before about Paul, because we're studying the book of Romans. You know, Jesus showed up to Paul and had this incredible experience on the road to Damascus. Even with Paul, God used a human witness to get to him. God used a man named Ananias who followed up that road to Damascus, Damascus experience and shared the gospel with Paul and baptized Paul. Look it up. Acts chapter 9. God wants to use you. God wants to use human witnesses to share the truth about Jesus with other people. God wants to use us. Now look at verse 15 with me. Paul takes this a few steps further. Here's another rhetorical question. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The Greek word for sent here is the word apostello. Apostello, which means to send out. The word apostle, I hope you can see that that's derived from that word apostello. An apostle is a sent one. A sent one. In Latin, the word uh, family that deals with the sent one that's translated apostello is missio. In Latin, it's missio, which we derive our English words mission and missionary from that Latin word. A missionary, so let me, let me just tell you, in English, a missionary very simply is a, is a sent one. Someone who's sent. It's a person on a mission. And in the Christian vocabulary, the mission is expressly gospel-centered. It's somebody, a missionary, someone who's on mission with the gospel, getting the gospel out. And in the local church, we should have both local sent ones, i.e. you and me right here in Decatur, and then also we should have global sent ones. I think that's appropriate. The church in Antioch, if you read in Acts chapter 13, I mean, they were preaching the gospel in Antioch. People were getting saved in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas were working in Antioch and doing all this great work. And, and at the same time, the church decided we're going to set aside these disciples. We're going to set aside some sent ones, and we're going to send them out cross-culturally to minister. And so they did. They sent Paul out, and Paul went out cross-culturally. I think, you know, I think we kind of fall into these two extremes. You, you know, Harvest Decatur, is that like one of those missionary-sending churches, or is that one of those, like, witnessing churches locally? Like, which one are you? Why can't we be both? Why can't we do both of those things? We see both of those things modeled in the scriptures. If the feet, let me say it this way. If the feet of those who preach good news are truly beautiful, I want lots of beautiful feet out there. I want people sent out from Harvest Decatur locally and also those who are global because why should we do this, Pastor Tony? Why? Why, why, why? Is this, you know, why is God demanding of this of us? 
Is it because he's a mean God? He's an exacting God? He has these great demands of us? No, here's why. Because, oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a beautiful thing that we get to participate in. And I don't know about you, but I, I want some beautiful feet. I do. These size 13s are never beautiful, except when I obey Romans 10. I want beautiful feet. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So we got to get the message out, Harvest Decatur. we got to get the message out. That's the good news about the good news. Now let me give you some bad news about the good news. You can write this down as number two. God wants his message proclaimed, but also not everyone will receive the message. Just want you to know that ahead of time. I wish this wasn't the case. I wish that everybody that I preached the gospel to got saved. I wish it was like picking blueberries in Michigan in summertime. You just go and you get them. I wish it was like shooting fish in a barrel. I wish evangelism worked that way. It's not. It's not like that. And some, some will reject the message. Some will reject the gospel. At least, at least God told you ahead of time that that was going to be the case, prepared you ahead of time. Look at verse 16 in your Bibles. Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. In other words, not everyone sees how beautiful it is that you are bringing the gospel to them. Not everyone sees your feet as beautiful when you bring the gospel to them. And Paul says this shouldn't surprise us. Paul says the Old Testament prophesied as much. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing the word about Christ, but not everyone who hears the word about Christ believes the word about Christ. That's key. That was true even in the Old Testament era. You know, Isaiah was a good guy. Isaiah was a prophet of the Lord, and they didn't even listen to him when he had something to say. Paul says it's going to be like that for us too. If it was true for Isaiah, it's going to be true for us. We shouldn't be surprised when our message is rejected. Here's a great word of encouragement from a Spanish Protestant reformer named Juan del Valdez. I read Valdez this last week, and I was really encouraged by this man. And if you know a Spanish Protestant reformer, just a quick word on that. If you know anything about Spain, if you know anything about the Protestant Reformation, you know that there aren't that many Spanish Protestant reformers. And I think that's why I like this guy so much. I can imagine that Valdez shared the gospel with a lot of Spaniards who refused to obey the gospel. I'm sure Valdez's experiences were kind of like Paul's when he was preaching to the Jews. He got a lot of rejections. And yet here's what he says. He says, the feet of those who preach the gospel do not cease to be beautiful because not everyone believes what is preached to them. Did you all get that? The feet of those who preach the gospel do not cease to be beautiful because not everyone believes what is preached to them. In other words, just because people reject your message, that doesn't mean that you didn't do a beautiful thing by bringing the gospel to them. It is beautiful to the Lord. And I know how it is 
it's incredibly satisfying when your proclaiming of the gospel is combined with somebody's faith, right? I mean, I, I live for that, that moment. Preach the gospel, somebody gets saved. Yes, that's what I wanted. But that doesn't always happen. And the, the more you preach the gospel to people, the more you realize that. And I just want you to know that as you do that and as you're rejected, your feet are still beautiful to the Lord, even if your gospel message is rejected. God is honored in that. God, God is glorified in that, even in the midst of that rejection. Yes, not everyone will receive the message. God wants his message proclaimed. Not everyone will receive the message. And then here's the last point that Paul wants to make in this passage. The ones who receive the message aren't always the ones you suspect. <laughs> Everybody with me? God wants his message proclaimed. Not everyone will receive the message. And the ones who receive the message aren't always the ones you suspect. Those who receive the message aren't always the ones you think will or should receive the message. And what Paul does here in the last few verses of chapter 10, he gives us kind of a case study of the Jews. He gives us these examples and he quotes the Old Testament and he basically says, you know, the Jews, you would think, would be the first to line up to receive Christ and to follow Christ. He was their Messiah. He was the one that was promised from their scriptures. This is the one, Jesus, the Messiah. This is the one that they've waited ages for. Wouldn't they be the first to receive Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior? Paul says, unfortunately, no, that's not the case with many Jews in his day. And what's amazing is that the Old Testament actually prophesied this. That's what Paul's going to say here. If you notice in your Bibles in verses 18 through 21 of chapter 10, almost every single statement that Paul makes from to the, to the end of this chapter comes directly from the Old Testament. This is Rabbi Paul now talking about the Old Testament. How about the Old Testament actually told us ahead of time that the ones who receive the message aren't always the ones that you suspect. Comes right out of the Old Testament. Here's what Paul says first. Look at verse 18. He says, but I ask, have they not heard? Who's the they there? There's some debate about this, but I think it's a reference to the Jews because Paul mentions Israel in the next verse in verse 19. So I think this is the Israelites. So let me read it that way. But I ask, verse 19, have the Israelites not heard? Indeed, the Israelites have, says Paul, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. In other words, the message concerning, concerning the Messiah encapsulated in the scriptures that the Jewish people had. It's gone out to the known world. It's gone all throughout the Roman Empire. And by the way, the Jewish people went all throughout the Roman Empire too. That's why Paul goes from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue. So the Jewish people are spread all throughout the known world. They've taken, they've taken their scriptures. They've taken their synagogues to the known world all throughout the Roman Empire. They should know. They've heard the truth. They've got it is what Paul's saying here. And by the way, by the time that Paul writes Romans, 
They also have the added advantage of gospel witnesses throughout the Roman Empire. Paul went from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue to synagogue in the book of Acts, preaching the gospel, trying to tell the Jews there, your Messiah is here, his name is Jesus. And it wasn't just Paul who did that. Barnabas did it, and Silas did it, and Apollos did it, and Priscilla and Aquila did that too. They are probably the ones, Priscilla and Aquila, who brought the gospel first to the Romans and to this Roman church and to the Jews in Rome in the first place. If anyone should have gotten saved and received the good news about Jesus Christ, it would be the Jewish people scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Some Jews did receive it. Most didn't. So Paul says here in verse 19, here's another question. But I ask, maybe Israel didn't understand it. Did Israel not understand? Maybe that's the problem. They didn't understand it. Israel heard it, but they didn't understand it. The gospel wasn't explained to them properly. That's why the Jews are rejecting Jesus. Paul says, no, that they understood it. They understood it. They just didn't receive it. They didn't believe it. Jesus was a rock of stumbling to them, not a rock of salvation. Remember that? Paul said that already. Jesus was a rock of stumbling. Michael Carr talks about that in this song, Scandalon. I mentioned this a few weeks back. You can read this on the screen. The seers and the prophets had foretold it long ago that the long-awaited one would make men stumble. But they were looking for a king to conquer and to kill. Who'd have ever thought he'd be so meek and humble? The Jews were looking for a conqueror, not a suffering savior like Jesus, someone to die for their sins. They totally missed God's plan of redemption, even though Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah 53, verse 5. Isaiah told them 700 years before the Messiah, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. They missed it. The Jewish people, they missed it, even though it was in their scriptures. And this was part of God's plan, even as far back as Moses. Look at verse 19. Paul says, but I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Now, here's some context here. I know this is kind of hard for us Gentiles to understand what's going on. So let me just give you some context here. Paul's quoting the book of Deuteronomy. And just before the Israelites entered into the promised land, there's this book of Deuteronomy. And the last thing that Moses does in the book of Deuteronomy is he writes this song. He teaches this song to the Israelites. It's called the Song of Moses. You can go read it this afternoon if you want. And, you know, this song is, I'll just say it, it's one of the saddest songs you've ever read in your life. It's not like our God is an awesome God. I mean, that's kind of what you would expect. We're going to the promised land. We're going to conquer. No, that's, that's not the song of Moses. Moses writes this song, and it's all full of this prophetic foreboding about how the Israelites, even as they go into the promised land, they're going to be unfaithful to God. They're going to rebel. And Moses says, I want you to teach your children this song, and I want you to sing it all the time. Teach your children this song about how we're all going to rebel against the Lord. Would you want to do that as a parent? That's what he told him to do. 
And part of the song, it's in verse 19 here, part of the song is this line about foolish people. Look at verse 19 again. Moses says in that song of Moses, I will make you, Israelites, jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish people, I will make you anger, angry. So part of the song was how the Lord will make the Israelites jealous with a bunch of nobodies. Can you imagine singing, like, singing songs like this? You know, I will make you jealous with a bunch of nobodies. I will make you angry with a bunch of dummies. Can you imagine a song like that? Let's, let's sing that great song that Moses taught us. That was the song. And what Moses was prophesying with that song is that someday God would judge the Jews for their rebellion and he would offer his salvation to a bunch of non-Jewish, ignorant, foolish people. Do you know who those people are, by the way? Do you know who those foolish people are that Moses prophesied about in the Song of Moses? I'll tell you who it is. It's this guy right here. Just stick out your thumbs, point it to yourself. Moses is talking about you in here. You, me, foolish people who are brought into the kingdom of God. Doesn't that make you proud? I'm one of those fools. Thanks you. Thank you, Moses. Thank you, Paul. Now, here's your thumbs. Point at yourself, unless you're Jewish. If you're watching right now and you're Jewish, then that's not you. You're part of that olive tree is Paul talks about it in Romans 11 the original olive tree the rest of us are wild olive branches that have been grafted in more on that in Romans 11 in the following weeks we are wild we are Gentiles we don't we don't deserve salvation we were outside of God's plan of salvation that included the Israelite people and then we were brought in because Jesus went to the cross and he died for us and he said I have sheep that are not of my fold these Gentiles, and he came to us, foolish, ignorant Gentiles, and he said, I'll be your shepherd too. I died for you too. And we said, thank you very much, Jesus. I want you to be my shepherd. I want to be your sheep. By the way, that passage in Deuteronomy, when Moses says to the Israelites, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. The word that he uses there for foolish is this Hebrew word, naval which means foolish, stupid, insolent. The same words used repeatedly in the book of Proverbs to contrast with the wise person. There's this wise person and then there's the naval. There's the fool. There's the ignoramus. Who's the naval that Paul's talking about in Romans? Who's the ignoramus, the foolish person? Right here, right here. I'm that person and now you know why Paul says in Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Don't take my word for it. Take Martin Luther's word for it. Martin Luther said this. He said, God saves no one but sinners. He instructs no one but the foolish and stupid. He enriches none but paupers, and he makes alive only the dead not those who merely imagine themselves to be such, but those who really are this kind of people and admit it. 
And it wasn't just Moses, by the way, who prophesied this future reality. Look at verse 20. It was also Isaiah. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Moses prophesied about foolish Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God about 1,500 years before Jesus. Isaiah prophesied the same, same thing, 700 years before Jesus. Imagine that, says Isaiah to the Israelites. Gentiles, heathens, pagan peoples, foolish peoples, they'll get saved. Look, listen, let me just speak autobiographically for a second. I have no misconceptions about my own identity as a follower of Christ. Yes, my parents are Christians, my grandparents are Christians, but you know, if, if 23 in me is correct, I am 75% from my ancestors from the British Isles, Scotland, England, Ireland. And 1,500 years ago, my ancestors, they, they were not Christ followers. They were idol-worshiping, foolish people. Why should I get saved? Why should I have a privilege to hear the gospel? I don't deserve that. And God in his goodness gave that to me. By the way, I heard this last week. I was reminded of this. Pope Gregory I, in the turn of the 7th century, he, he came across some slave boys from Britain. And he was so shocked by how white their skin was. He was you know, their yellow hair and their white skin. And they were called Anglos. And he said, no, no, not Anglos. They're, they're angels. They're so white, their skin is glowing compared to like the Mediterranean peoples of that day who had darker skin. And, and, and he, I mean, get this, he, he felt such compassion for these white, heathen slave boys who didn't have a clue about who Jesus Christ was, didn't have a clue about the gospel. So he said, I got to do something about this. So he sends out missionaries to Britain to save these heathen people. You know, we th I think sometimes in America, we think the church started in England and then it got perfected in America. That's, that's just not the case. You know, we, we like to think of Jesus and his disciples walking around speaking English, speaking maybe King James, I don't know. That is not the case. And they didn't have milky white skin, by the way, either. Like sometimes our pictures reflect that. You know, we like to think that, that Jesus is an American thing, that Jesus is a, at least a British thing. I think I told you all already about the, the governor of Texas who said you know, they were trying to add Spanish as a second language in the schools in Texas. And she said, if English was good enough for Jesus Christ, it's good enough for Texas. It's good enough for the people of Texas. That's the way we think sometimes. But if you stop and think about this, think this through, and just think even as Paul is writing about this, why should English speakers have the gospel? Why? England was full of heathen sinners 1,500, 1,600 years ago. Why should we be allowed to get saved? Why should any Gentile be saved? We're nobodies. Why should anybody in America get saved? We are foolish, English-speaking Gentiles. Why should we get saved? Here's why we should get saved. Isaiah said why. Isaiah said it boldly. He said, I have been found by those who did not seek me. Foolish people. I have shown myself to those who did not 
ask for me. Who's the I in that verse? In verse 20. If you go back and you look at that passage in Isaiah, the I is Yahweh. He's the God of the Israelites. Paul's quoting Isaiah 65, verse 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Here I am, who does that sound like? The great I am, Yahweh. Yahweh has been found by those who did not seek him, namely Gentiles, and he has shown himself to those who did not ask for him, namely heathen, foolish, ignorant, non-Jews, like this guy right here, like us. Now look at verse 21. But of Israel, he, Isaiah, speaking for Yahweh, but of Israel, Yahweh says, all day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people, i.e. the Israelites. What's the point here? What's Paul trying to teach us? He's saying the ones who receive the message aren't always the ones that you expect. Gentiles are getting saved in Paul's day. Jews are rejecting the gospel. Don't be surprised by that. Don't be alarmed by that. And don't be presumptuous about what God is doing in our world. Listen, I said this last week. Let me just say it again. The Christian church, Christians spread throughout the world right now, they're predominantly non-white. And that's, that's good. They're predominantly non-Western. They're predominantly non-English speaking. That's okay. That's, that's okay. That's good. God's message, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, right? Every tribe, tongue, nation, following Jesus, serving Jesus. In our world today, we have, we have white Christians. That's great. We also have brown Christians. Praise the Lord. That's fantastic. We also have black Christians. Praise God. We also have Jewish remnant believers. I have some friends who check that box. That's fantastic too. I don't, I don't really care who gets saved. And I'll preach the gospel to anybody. If you're a homo sapien, I'll preach the gospel to you. That's all I care about. We got any homo sapiens in this room right now? I'll preach the gospel to you. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. I want people from all tribes, all peoples to get saved. And sometimes it's not the ones that you expect, even the ones that it might point towards throughout history that get saved. The bottom line is this, Jesus died for us, we can be saved, we can and should preach the gospel to anyone, anywhere, and then we do this, we, we leave the results to God. You do your job, get the message out, and then leave the results to the Lord, leave the results to the Lord, he'll sort it out in the end. close this this last Wednesday November 11th was Veterans Day and let me just say publicly you know I was really moved this last week and mindful of that thankful for those 
who have served our country and died so that we can have the freedoms that we do have in America. And I've been told by different people, even people in this church, to to view Veterans Day as not just a time to remember those who died for our country, but those who served and survived. And uh, I'm mindful of that. I am thankful for those in our Decatur community and Harvest Decatur as well who have served our country. And one of the things, just so you know, that often accompanies veterans who have survived combat, uh, especially combat, service for the country, is what's referred to as survivor's guilt. And, you know, it's, it's just this sense, after you've been in combat, you just feel like, why me? Why am I the one that survived? Why not my buddy? Why not my commanding officer? What, you know, that kind of comes over people. And I'm not an expert in this, but what I've read as you counsel people who have dealt with survivor's guilt, you steer them in two different directions. It's, it's twofold, the remedy for this. First of all, you, you talk about it. You encourage them to open up. You don't bury it deep inside. You talk about it. You open up. You get with other people and share your experiences. So that's one way to deal with survivor's guilt. And the second thing that you do is you, you, you do something with it. You serve in some viable capacity. You, you know, let that guilt motivate you to love and to serve other people in a viable way. Guilt can oftentimes be a strong motivator for purposeful action. So, I, you know, I would counsel people who are dealing with that, even those who are not, you know, connected with the arms, with the armed forces. Like, yeah, if you have survivor's guilt, that's a way to deal with it. Just as a parallel, I think, I think people who get saved, especially those who come from, let's say, a non-Christian background, have a similar experience. Why me? Why am I? You know, my, my sister was the smart one in our family. My, my, my brother was the moral one. He was the good one. Why am I the one that got saved? Why am I the one that surrendered to Christ? Why, why me? Why me, Lord? And, you know, there's a certain amount of humility that can come out of that. That's not bad. I think, I think that's good, actually, that we have humility. We should all feel grateful. We should feel unworthy of that salvation. I just shared my whole Anglo-Saxon experience. Why me, Lord? Why? But that, that questioning should not lead to inaction. Or it shouldn't lead to us contemplating our unworthiness of our salvation ad infinitum. You know what the Bible tells us to do? The Bible says get the message out. Yes, we're unworthy. Yes, we should be humble before that. Why? I don't deserve this. But at the same time, we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, and then we get the message. We do something about it. How can people believe if they've never heard? How can people hear without someone proclaiming the gospel? You might say, but Pastor Tony, sometimes people won't listen. Sometimes people reject it. Yeah, I know. And sometimes the people you think are going to get saved don't, and the people who you don't think are going to get saved do. It's uncanny. And ultimately, God is not holding you responsible for whether or not people respond to your gospel message. God is holding you responsible. God is calling you to get the message out. So Harvest Decatur, 
Get the message out. Get the message out. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Good news. Pray with me. Let me pray to that end. Oh, Lord, it is good news. We are so unworthy of salvation. Lord, we are a foolish, sinful, God-defying people. And in your goodness and in your love for us, You died for us. You said, I have sheep from another fold, and you you told us, I'll be your shepherd. And Lord, you are. We are your sheep. We belong to you. We love you. We believe in your death and your resurrection. We believe in the new life that you have given us. God, would you use the joy in our hearts that we experience from the Holy Spirit that you've deposited inside of us. Would you use that joy, use that feeling of privilege, use that that, that sense of ownership that we belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to us. Use that to motivate us and to tell people about you, to share our faith with others. How are people going to hear unless we talk, unless we proclaim it? God, make Harvest Decatur that kind of church, I pray. I pray for sent ones to be raised up in this church, locally and globally. Those who represent you, represent the message, represent the gospel. Those who are quick to speak about it with our neighbors, our friends, on social media, in conversation, with our kids, with our family. I pray that it would just ooze out of us, Lord. Our testimony, our faith, our proclaiming of the gospel. Do that in this church, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.